morning. I have a human nature question uh, for you uh, as we start our time together. And uh, this could describe you and it could describe me, but more, I'm, what I'm asking about more is human nature. Is uh, the statement I'm gonna put on the screen, is, is this true? That I celebrate grace given to me and I criticize grace given to others. You think about that as a human nature question just for a moment. Is that true of many of us? Is that true of most of us? That when grace is given to me, I tend to celebrate. When grace is given to others, I tend uh, to celebrate it. Do I have a hard time celebrating and rejoicing in grace given to other people? In my uh, teenage years, I worked for Domino's Pizza. And uh, one of my jobs uh, as a young teenager was uh, to go around to subdivisions and uh, put uh, flyers in people's doors. That's like a super annoying thing to do. But um, we, we did it anyway. I think it's actually illegal now. I don't even think you're allowed to do that anymore. But at the time that you were, and uh, there were two groups of us that would go out and, and do this every weekend, Saturday and Sunday. And we were told to show up around five o'clock, uh, get a thing of flyers and, and go out and, and do it. And I remember on one occasion in particular, uh, uh, my group was there uh, a little bit before five and we got our flyers and we went out and dispersed them and we had clearly left before the other group had arrived and uh, we worked for an hour or two, I can't remember how long it was and we came back and uh, came back about the same time as the other group and I remember we were both paid a flat fee. We were paid the same fee. And even as a teenager, I had this thought, that doesn't seem right. Right, because I, I don't know how much earlier we left, but I know we left some or earlier. You know, throwing a free pizza, your Domino's pizza, whatever. Um, something doesn't seem right about this for a moment. That, that when you've worked harder, when you've worked longer, that sort of thing can be kind of annoying. Several years ago, uh, Sam and I were driving on the highway, and the speed limit was 70 miles an hour, and uh, I was going uh, a comfortable 75. Uh, the speed limit was 70. I was going 75 because that's a civil disobedience that is okay. All right, um, to go five over, everybody just knows this, right? So I was going 75 and out of nowhere, this guy comes just speeding past us. Um, I, I'm just gonna estimate, he had been going about 95 miles an hour um, on the highway and I had this thought, maybe you've had this thought too, nothing would make me happier. Right? Let me do the preaching, okay? All right, no, don't, don't get ahead of me. I, Nothing would make me happier than to get up ahead and see that that guy had been pulled over. And you've had that thought, obviously you've had that thought a number of times, just like I have. In this case, it happened. All right, about 10 miles up the road, I saw the, the, the blue and red lights and I saw that this guy was pulled over. And can I tell you something? I was not praying for grace. I don't know if he got grace or not, but I was not thinking that he deserved grace. I was not hoping he would get good, good, good grace. I was hoping for the biggest ticket of his life. And there is this thing in us, isn't there, that celebrates grace for us and criticizes grace for others. Sometimes you see it at work when you're a diligent, hardworking employee and this coworker of yours that works less than you and often shows up late, he gets promoted ahead of you. You're probably not celebrating that grace. I would suspect you're criticizing that grace. Sometimes it shows up in family that you know how diligently you have parented your children and you see your brother or your sister who, in your opinion, they continually phone it in and their children are on the honor roll and they're excelling in sports and your kids are struggling. 
It's hard to celebrate that grace. It's hard not to criticize that grace. Sometimes it even shows up in church. Sometimes it does. The person that's been faithfully following Jesus for decades and they see uh, new programs and new ideas meant to reach those that are far from Jesus, and you can kind of have this thought. Shouldn't the bulk of the programs go to the faithful? Shouldn't the worship service be directed to the faithful? And we forget about the parable that we're going to study next week about the good shepherd that leaves the 99 sheep to find the one, and it can be hard to celebrate that grace. So is it true that I tend to celebrate grace given to me and I tend to criticize grace given to others. Let's pause here just for a moment and I'll throw up on the screen for us kind of a definition of grace that I like just so we're kind of all on the same page and here's what it is. Grace is the free and unmerited favor of God for sinful humanity. All right, so grace is free and unmerited. And the greatest example of grace is found in the message of the gospel. The gospel says that you and I were created to know God and worship God, that this thing was placed inside of us that desires the divine, that desires to worship the divine. The problem is, is that we are sinners and God is not. So our sin separates us from our heavenly father that we were born to know and worship. Jesus was never gonna allow that to be our story. So the Bible says he went to the cross, he died for our sins so that we could be forgiven and we could have the relationship with God we were created to have. This is grace. So grace is first of all free. It is a gift. My son is uh, turning seven in a couple weeks. And uh, a few weeks ago, Cheryl and I started brainstorming birthday gifts and birthday cake and all that stuff. So on his seventh birthday in a couple weeks, if Sam wakes up in a bad mood or he wakes up disrespectful or something like that, we're not taking back his cake or his gifts. Because that day, those gifts, that cake, they are not tied to his behavior. They are tied to our love for him. And nothing can change that. So the invitation from Jesus, the invitation to grace, it is for everyone. It is not just those that we perceive as righteous and we perceive as good. And I chose that word very carefully because if you've been around church for any length of time, you know that that's just a perception anyway. The Bible says that no one is righteous, no, not one. But the invitation of Jesus is a free invitation for those that were raised in church and the prodigal son or daughter that ran away from church. The invitation is the same. The invitation is for the volunteer for the last 40 years and the invitation is for the murderer. The invitation is for the married person as well as the adulterer. The invitation is for everyone. Now you can rest assured that as we follow Jesus, he's gonna deal with our pride. He's going to deal with our anger. He's going to deal with our jealousy. He's going to deal with it all. But the message of Christianity starts with a gift. Then the gift of Jesus is available to everyone. Here's the second thing it is. Grace is unmerited. You can't earn it. If you could earn it, it would be called a paycheck, not a grace, right? And I get that this is a parable that we read earlier about a group of people that were earning a a paycheck, but that's not really what this parable is about. This parable is about a God who demonstrates his grace for all people. The parable is about a grace giver, a God who is generous. The upset people in this parable are people who want to limit God to a paycheck signer. But they, because they think they know what they deserve and they think they know what everybody else deserves. But what if they're wrong? What if they don't really know? 
And what if we're all just recipients of God's incredible grace? What if we all are recipients of God's incredible grace? So is it true that when grace is given to me, I celebrate. When grace is given to others, I, I criticize. Let me show you what the Apostle Paul said. I think this is really interesting. The Apostle Paul said this, but God, being rich in mercy, because of uh, the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised, up, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works so that no one can boast. So Paul seems to get this. When Paul talks about and celebrates grace, did you notice the words that he uses? He overwhelmingly uses the words our and us. That in Paul's mind, this grace was not just for him. This grace was not just about him. This grace was for us. It is for all of us. Grace was an all play thing for Paul. So he uses these words, by grace we have been saved. Right? God, Christ in his great love, he loved us. He loved all of us. That grace was an all play thing for Paul. And I was struck this week by how often in our worship singing, right? I, I, I asked on Facebook this week for people to tell me some of their favorite songs about grace. And I just kind of studied the lyrics of those songs about how often the songs that we sing are really about grace given to me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost and now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me his word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Yea, when this flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. And then the last verse, notice how the writer expands. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. So just so you don't think that I'm picking on a hymn, let me show you a more modern day song. This is the song, Reckless Love. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you gave yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Yeah. Right? <laughs> there's no, sh you know I'm not singing, but there, there's, no, 
There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up coming after me. No wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up coming after me. No wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down coming after me. I love these songs. Please do not misunderstand. I love these songs. These songs celebrate God's grace demonstrated toward me. We need to sing these songs. But as we sing these songs, we need to make sure we never forget the words us and them. That grace isn't just for me. Grace is for us. Grace is for them. Grace is an all play. And so in Matthew uh, chapter 20, Jesus tells a story about a landowner that we've referenced a couple times who decided to hire some workers into his vineyard field. He hired groups at nine, noon, three, and five. And at the end of the day, it came time to, to pray, and the landowner does an amazing kind of crazy thing. The groups at nine, noon, three, and five are all hired, uh, are all paid the same. They're all paid the exact same page. And for the groups that were hired after the first group, that is a grace. For the group that was hired first, the very first part of the day, that's called an annoyance. Right? You're hired at nine and somebody hired at five, you receive the same pay. Does that seem fair? I know we're in church, so we're supposed to say yes, but does it seem fair? Right? Do you remember the story of the thief on the cross? When Jesus was crucified, he was executed next to two criminals. And one of the criminals on the cross had, become, had given in to the anger of his life. And uh, during the whole crucifixion, he's flinging criticisms and condemnation at Jesus the whole time. The second criminal is there and he sees something in Jesus. He recognizes something in Jesus and he says to the other criminal, hey, don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Really? Really? At 5 p.m., you give your life to Jesus and today you'll be with me in paradise. A common thief, a common criminal, along with Abraham, Abraham's in paradise, along with Abraham, along with Isaac, along with David, one of the greatest kings in Israel's history. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Is that fair? I really like what Scott said, because I'm going to say it again. Jesus is not in the fair business. He's in the grace business. And every single person in this room ought to be grateful for that. Jesus is not in the fair business. He's in the grace business. And the wages of sin is death, physical and spiritual. The thief on the cross is right. That is what our deeds deserve. That is what's fair. But God, in his grace, provided another way for us. We are all the thief on the cross. 
That's why Paul was so right when he describes grace as an us thing. It's an us thing. Because we are all the thief on the cross, desperate for and needing his grace. So we as the people of God, more than any other people on the planet, we the people of God should be in the grace business. There should be no one that loves grace as much as us. There should be no one that dispenses grace as much as us. There should be no one that talks about and sings about grace as much as us because we have been changed, we have been transformed by the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we as the people of God are in the grace business. Back to our original question. Do I celebrate grace given to me and criticize grace given to others? I want to, if you'll allow me to, just for about five minutes or so, I want to put on my spiritual doctor mask just for a minute. And I want to go back to the original parable that we've been talking about, the parable of the vineyard and the people that were all hired. And I want to help us diagnose if I am struggling with grace. Am I I developing this attitude where I do celebrate it for me and I do criticize it for for you? And so there's some kind of tells in this parable that I think are going to help us. I'll put them on the screen for you. Here's diagnosis number one. Do I have an attitude of entitlement with God? Right, the sure sign that you're losing, you're, you're losing track of grace. The parable talks about when the first group was hired and they get their pay, uh, that when the first group hired saw the later group hired, uh, that they got their pay and how generous the master had been. Here's what verse 10 says. They expected to receive more. Right? So you're hired at nine, somebody's hired at five. You see that they're paid what you were promised all of a sudden you expect to receive more. And I think some of those that have been following Jesus for a while can kind of walk around with an attitude uh, that God owes us for our faithfulness. (laughs) That God owes us for our obedience. That God owes us for our church attendance. That God owes us for our financial gifts. And we forget that we are the thief on the cross. That everything we have is a grace. And my obedience didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. It's grace. And beyond that, let me ask you this question. What if the only thing Jesus ever did for you, now I believe he's a God of more. I believe he's a God of grace. He's a God of kindness. But let me ask you this. What if the only thing God ever did for you was keep his promises to you? That that's the only thing he ever did for you was to keep his promises to you. Wouldn't our cups be overflowing with blessing if he just did that? So do I have an attitude of entitlement that I feel I am entitled to more because of my faithfulness? Here's number two. Do I have, excuse me, do I have an attitude of grumbling? The text says that when they uh, received uh, their pay and it was the same as those that were hired later, the first group began to grumble against the landowner. So do you find yourself frustrated with God that he hasn't given you more? Do you find yourself frustrated when you see those that are getting blessed that you don't think deserve blessing and those that are receiving grace that you don't think deserve grace? Are you frustrated by that? I think grumbling is a sure sign that we have forgotten about grace, not just for them, not just for them but for us, that we have lost sight of grace when we begin to grumble against God because as the song says, he has been so, so good to us. And... and So it's all grace. So have we forgotten how good God has been? And then here's the big one in this story. And I want to expound on this for a little bit if you'll give me a few minutes to do that. Do I resent equality? 
Let me put this statement on the screen because I think it's really what this parable is about. Those that were hired last worked only one hour, and here's the resenting statement. You have made them equal with us that have borne uh, the burden of the work and the heat of the day. So let me kind of throw out a statement, and then I want to unpack it a little bit because I think uh, this is so, so important for us to understand. Grace makes us equal. Right? The doctrine of grace makes us equal. It makes us equal in our sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it makes us equal recipients of the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus. So grace makes every single person equal. We're, we're all equal in that way. Equal, equal sinners and equal recipients of grace. So I used to travel uh, for my position years and years ago. I traveled to a lot of churches. And I found that in a very few churches... There was this attitude, and you could tell as soon as you walked into the church, when, when, as soon as you walked into the church, there was this attitude of equality, all right? There was an attitude of equality, that, man, we are all sinners. We are all saved by grace. No one is better. No one is worse. There was this sense of equality that, man, you're a sinner, me too. I'm a sinner too. You're saved by grace, me too. Thank the Lord for Jesus Christ, right? And there was this attitude of equality. That was in a few churches. In most churches, there seemed to be a group in in every church that was perceived by the church as better and up here. So there was this group that was kind of like up here and like everybody else was kind of like the sinners. And and that group tended to look down on, on, on the other group. And it was always interesting to see what kind of caused that group to be elevated above everybody else. And to be honest with you, I'll give you my list of what I observed. This is what I observed. Sometimes it was money. That families with money were all of a sudden like seen as up here and everybody else was down here. Um, sometimes um, it was uh, physical attractiveness. Sometimes it was power and control. Sometimes it was leadership. But I'll tell you what it was most of the time. Most of the time the, the discrepancy was those that have been there the longest. That we have been faithful. We have endured. We've never left And those churches, whenever there was a disparity between one group and the other, those churches tended to be subtly, if you can, if this makes sense, subtly hostile toward outsiders. Right? Subtly hostile. Which means that when a new person would walk in, nobody screamed at them, nobody yelled at them, nobody told them to leave, right? That would be just hostile, right? This was subtly hostile. It's like there was no way to break in. That, that, that there was this kind of perception that one group uh, was, w- was better than the, the, the rest of the group. And I'm telling you, grace makes us equal. Grace makes us equal. That churches like that had forgotten that, man, we are all sinners. We are all saved by grace. Through Jesus, we are equal. And I'm telling you that um, helping churches grow and helping churches get going is a multi-million, maybe even multi-billion dollar business. And I'm telling you, I'm going to put it on the screen for you. This is the thing holding churches back. It is a failure to see, celebrate, and articulate grace beyond ourselves. Right? It's a failure to think about the goodness and grace of God beyond ourselves. And it could be a sense of entitlement. It could be a sense of disappointment with God, resentment toward God for blessing someone that you don't think deserve it. But at its core, everything we've talked about is a failure to see, celebrate, and articulate grace beyond ourselves. And I'll tell you what drives it. 
the, the engine behind all of this that we've talked about, what drives it is this statement, because I, then God. That's it. That is the engine that drives this car. It is because I, then God. Because I am holy. Because I am righteous. Because I taught middle school for 30 plus years, right? God owes me kindnesses and God owes me grace. And the flip side of it, the judgmental side of it is because you, then God. Because you are a sinner because you have made mistakes, because you're so late to the party, you don't deserve those same kindnesses and those same graces. And we forget that the message of Christianity is not because I then God, and the message message of Christianity is not because you then God. The message of Christianity is because Jesus, period. There is no after. There is no after statement on that. It is not because I then God, because you, then God. It is because Jesus, period. Because Jesus loves us, period. Because Jesus is so kind to us, period. Because Jesus wants us to be forgiven, period. Because Jesus is such a graceful and kind person, period. Because Jesus, it is undeserved. It is unmerited. It is because Jesus, And because of that, I do what I do with every good gift. I receive his gift of grace. Because Jesus, period. And I'm telling you, churches that really grasp onto the idea, the minute you walk in the door, and I hope our church feels this way, the minute you walk into the door, it feels different. It feels like me too. I heard a church that they adopted this statement, me too. I'm a sinner, me too. I'm a recipient of grace, me too. It just feels like this sense of equality that goes through the entire church that, hey, you're a sinner, welcome, we all are. You need grace, welcome, we all need it. It's this attitude of equality. So Jesus tells another story and uh, uh, we're not covering it in this series because um, I talk about this story about 10 times a year. Um, and so I decided not to include it in the series, but uh, it's a really cool story and it's really relevant to what we're talking about today. The story is about a man, it starts out a man who had two sons. <clears throat> and the first son comes to the father and he says, I want my inheritance early, right? In other words, you're not dying fast enough. Um, I would like to have my inheritance early. And the father complies with this and he gives the son his inheritance early. And it says the son goes off and he engages in wild living. All right, you can fill in the blanks with that. And while he's engaging in wild living, a famine comes and strikes the land the son is living in. He loses all his money. He, because he loses his money, he loses all his friends, and he's not sure what to do. And finally, he decides to go home and ask his dad for a job. And while he's walking home, the father is kind of waiting for him, says the father's filled with compassion. He runs to the son, and this amazing kind of moment happens. He decides to throw a massive party for the son. Let me put this on the screen for you. Because he throws the party because the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. Story of the prodigal son. But this story is about two sons. And there was another son, he was an older brother, and the party is happening for this prodigal son who's come home, and the older son refuses to go in. He refuses to join the party, right? And uh, the father goes and, and talks to the son, and here's what the, father, here's what the son says to the father. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your order. 
and you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him? Do you hear it? Entitlement, anger, and resentment of equality. This is not my brother. This is that son of yours. We're not equal. Grace has not made us equal. I'm the older brother. He's the son of yours. And the father says, my son, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because... Why? Say it out loud. This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. You know what the older brother's problem was? He stopped seeing the generosity of the father as an us thing and he started viewing the generosity of the father as a me thing. What should I be getting because I've been good? Entitlement, anger, and resentment will always follow that decision. And so the father gently brings him back. He says, this brother of yours, remember earlier on the, the older brother had said, this son of yours, he's not, he's not the same as the brother. He's not identifying at all. This brother of yours. What is the father doing in this moment? He's reminding him, this isn't a me thing. This is an us thing. I've been good to you. I've been good to him. I'm, I'm good That's what I do. Goodness pours out of me. This is not a you thing. This is not a them thing. This is an us thing. We are all sinners. We are all recipients of God's grace. There is equality in this thing called the gospel. This is why racism in the kingdom of God has no place. This is why sexism in the kingdom of God has no place. This is why classism in the kingdom of God has no place. This is why pride in the kingdom of God has no place. Because all of those things create categories. And it's when you create categories, it is easy to say one category is better than the other. And through the grace of Jesus, we are all equal. Unfortunately, we are equal in our sin. But we are also equal in God's love for us. And and his ability to deal with our sin. So the grace makes us equal. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. We thank you for the equality of grace. And Heavenly Father, I want to pray for our church. I want to pray that when people walk into the doors, that we would be a church that has that us, me too mentality. That we are all sinners. We are all saved by grace. Welcome to the mess. And that this sense of equality would just pour off of us. That there wouldn't be any uh, group of people that feel better than anybody else. But instead, we'd just all be sinners saved by your grace. As the Apostle Paul said, let me put it on the screen for you. Uh, Last slide. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 9. I'm going, to ha- I'm going to ask you to help me read this, all right? And I've underlined some portions of it. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and he, he made us 
alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Us. It is us. The person next to you is a sinner saved by grace. The person you came to church with is a sinner saved by grace. Your pastor and preacher is a sinner saved by grace. Your eldership is a sinner, is a group of sinners saved by grace. Grace makes us equal, equal in our sin and equal in God's love for us. May it be so. May it be so. And we're going to celebrate that grace right now. That's why one of the things we love to do here is um, anybody that's accepted this message, we love to receive communion together because the, and we, we love to take it together because this is an opportunity for us to kind of turn to each other and go, yeah, me too. I, I need this as much as anybody. And, and it, it's an opportunity for us to declare as a church, this is us. This is us too. And so we're going to receive communion together. We'll pass it out. You can just hold on to the two cups stacked on top of each other. One has the bread representing Jesus' body, his grace. One has some juice representing his blood, his grace. And it's an opportunity for us to just celebrate God's grace directed to us.